welcome to Everything We Can't See. My name is Chandler. And my name is Denise. And if you're familiar with our show, we live for the spooky and scary. Each episode, we research some of our favorite sites that have peculiar hauntings and awesome history. So these next two episodes will have two parts. So this episode, we're going to be divulging into some true crime. And then next week, we will also be talking about some really interesting true crime. They're both located in California. Really quickly, we're going to be talking about what we did, I think it was two weeks ago? Was, was it not? Oh yeah, it was two weeks ago. <laughs> well, time is not a thing in quarantine. <laughs> Weird. Um, so two weeks ago, we went over to the Northern State Recreation Area. And if you're familiar with us, we are located in Washington State. So that is actually pretty close to us, about 45 minutes away from both of us. So we wanted to head up there and kind of do our own little investigation. This place is really cool. Uh, you can kind of roam around the entire property. Um, you can't get into all of the buildings, but it's really worth it no matter what. Um, we enjoyed it for what, I would say like six hours. We were there forever. Um, and we started with some abandoned buildings and worked our way from there. Yeah, it was actually really interesting. Um, I definitely have never felt the need to trespass more in my entire <laughs> life because the outskirts that's available to the public is a lot of, uh, buildings that were used to help self-sustain the property. Um, so there's a cemetery that we were able to go to as well as, um, some old farming buildings that really honestly didn't do much for us. And there's some other random buildings just, just throughout the property that you really have to walk and dig through cause it's just completely overgrown. Um, we didn't honestly, I don't know if I could say this place is haunted. Not a lot really happened. Uh, one of my friends from college, Spencer, uh, definitely antagonizes things. And we may or may not have gotten a voice on a spirit box, but I don't really know. Oh, my God. <laughs> Sorry. My cat oh. just, like, jumped behind Denise. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, that was actually scarier than the Northern Try. State Recreation Area. So. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't, again, I wouldn't really necessarily say this place is haunted, but we may or may not have gotten a voice in this kind of, it's this building that once you've gone the property, it's pretty deep into it right before the actual public area because there are some leftover abandoned buildings that are not in use, but some of them are in use for a job rec center as well as a um, rehab facility. So it's interesting that honestly, if I had to do rehab there, I think I mentioned that like four or five times <laughs> during the day, if I had to do rehab there, that would suck because the buildings look like they're haunted, but we were able to look into a few of the windows and get very close and personal inside and see the individual bedrooms and I know for a fact, if we were able to get freaking access, that there would have just been something more. Or even the idea of just running through an old mental asylum. Sounds amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that would be like does a that make us a candy weird? shop. No. Does that, I, no. Does that make us weird? We're weird no matter what. <laughs> Are we weird? <laughs> this podcast makes us weird and we don't care. I feel weird. Okay, wait. You didn't mention, like, the best part? Oh, okay. So, uh, Spencer's girlfriend's brother. Let's go down the list. Uh, so... He was in the corner of one of the rooms and I honestly can't really tell what happened because anytime I went into the room, so to speak, because it, again, it's a torn down building pretty much, um, 
the EVP reader would not move. It's almost as if, like, it didn't want me there. Mm-hmm. Whatever, whatever. Theoretically speaking, again. So when I went in, it's like nothing was active. But as soon as I would leave, he'd yell my name as if something was happening. So, A, frustrating. B, holy crap, he definitely had an experience and he mentioned, and what's the craziest part of this all, I, this is the one thing I can't get over. I understand that we were using the spirit box all day and like just, it was like six hours of use, but it's a D battery. It's huge. And it only happened when he was in that room and he was talking to it. And I don't think he got any communication or like anything clear, but the spirit box died. It just stopped working. Oh my god! It just like completely just died in that room. It did not work anymore. He said that the room felt really cold. So it's just, it's so weird to me that it just died. Yeah. And he was alone. I think that's kind of like a huge part of like paranormal investigation. Screw that. Yeah. No. It's like being alone. No. <laughs> like uh, no. they love when you're alone. No. Um, no. So- this is why they say like in a place gather two or more, you can get the Holy Spirit. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I will always be two or more in these situations. Holla freaking Luya. No. Yep. And it, again, it was <laughs> such an experience and it was so fun, um, but we, yeah, like we, like I said, we had a great time, but we want to do other Washington places too, yeah. so if you have any suggestions, make sure to message us and let us know like what your favorite uh, haunted places in Washington or like the Pacific Northwest are. We're super interested in that. Yeah, and if you can give us special access to get into buildings where I won't feel frustrated all day, that would be great as well. That'd be great. <laughs> we tried to contact so many government agencies all day just to like get access to these beautiful buildings that were just like overgrown and completely empty. You know how weird it is starting a Facebook message to someone that you found that wrote the journal entry as a media person and I'm like, hey, you don't know me, but... <laughs> Can I be weird and ask you for access to this place? Thanks. Like, please, please, please. I want it so bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so let's move on. I think we're going to talk about our episode now, mm-hmm. our famous murders. So today's episode is called The Love House. And you might not be as familiar with that term, but you might be a little bit more familiar with the Manson family murders. If you're not familiar, these murders were conducted by a cult led by Charles Manson. They called themselves the Manson family. Uh, they weren't blood related necessarily. On the evening of August 8th, 1969, Charles told four of his members to go to 10050 Cielo Drive and kill all the people inside there. This home was demolished in 1994, but the effects on the land have continued. To clarify, this home was actually the home of Roman Polanski and Sharon Tate. Um, Roman Polanski was a famous director, and Sharon was a famous actress as well. She was very young, I believe she was about 26. And that house in particular, he was actually going there because the previous resident was a uh, producer, a music producer, and Charles Manson was incredibly bitter about the fact that when he approached this music producer, he was denied an album (laughs) for his uh, rock star age. So instead, he decided to kill all of these people. That had nothing to do with it. Keep that in mind literally nothing to do with it had no control over the situation with his music career i it's kind of funny because it has like remnants of like tiger king to me a little bit like a little bit of the music a little bit of murder you know it's like all over the place not so culty but i just want to know who carol baskins is (laughs) i'm like where does she tie in 
So let's dive into the murder itself. Um, the murder itself was actually committed by Susan Atkins, Patricia Krenwinkel, Charles Tex Watson, and assisted by Linda Cabasson. Once these four arrived on the site of the murder, they then cut the phone lines to ensure that no emergency services were contacted. So that was kind of their initial um, feat. Like they wanted to make sure that no one was able to be saved or be alive after this. The first victim being Stephen Parent. Stephen Parent was an 18 year old man. He was coming to the grounds to actually meet the groundskeeper to sell a time clock. He was met at the gate with a knife by Charles Watson. Um, he pled for Charles Watson to give him his life. His last words were, please, please don't hurt me. I am your friend. I won't tell anyone. But ultimately, Charles Watson stabbed him and actually shot him four times in the chest and abdomen. So that is the first murder right there. That was, I mean, very quickly into the night. Um, he was killed in cold blood and a very young man, incredibly young. So the group decides to move forward. They hop the fence, they get over onto the grounds itself, and they decide to push that car that Stephen Parent was in to the driveway. And so no lights on, nothing very um, quiet about it. So the next move was to get into the building itself. So once they actually got onto the premises of the house, they decided that they were going to cut a window screen to enter into the house, into the living room specifically. So once they entered in quietly, they find Wojciech Frakowski sleeping on the couch. He is awoken by Watson, Charles Watson, and asks who he is. Watson replies, I'm the devil and I'm here to do the devil's business. That gave me chills when I first read that. I don't know about you, but that just like shakes me to my core. So obviously when he's saying this, he's invoking fear. He wants that fear. Yeah. He wants these people to unfortunately die with fear. Then the killers, Atkins and Krenwinkel, then gathered the other three victims into the living room to begin what can only be described as one of the most gruesome killings of all time. So firstly, a rope was hung for Jay Sebring and Sharon Tate. G Jay Sebring was actually Sharon Tate's ex-fiance, so they were very close, and this was heart-wrenching for the two of them to experience together. Um, at the time, Sharon Tate was actually eight and a half months pregnant with Roman Polanski's child. So Jay Sebring begged for the murderer's mercy on the pregnant Tate, he was then shot without a second thought, but still alive. And Sharon Tate, horrified by watching her ex-fiance die, or excuse me, shot, then pleaded for her assailants to let her live. They then find Abigail Folger, and Abigail Folger is actually the heiress of the coffee fortune Folger's Coffee. Abigail Folger was then taken to one of the bedrooms in the house and she gave the one of the assailants $70 to actually appease them and try and like, you know, give them something to kind of attach themselves to her with, you know, give them something to let her live. Um, and at this time, then Jay Sebring was actually stabbed seven more times after being shot. So it's a lot of stuff going on. You can kind of notice that this is a huge moving piece because there are so many people in this house at the time, like eight people total involved. 
Um, and so once Jay is shot, then Frakowski, the one that was sleeping on the couch, was only held by a towel at this point by his wrists. He actually freed himself, but with Atkins at his heels, she stabbed him repeatedly in the legs, multiple times in the thighs and then the legs. She then pistol whipped him in the head and shot him twice. I mean, these people were completely tortured and just trying to live. Atkins thought that she had killed him and went to assist the lookout, Linda Cabasson, as she thought that someone was attempting to stop the murder. So Linda kind of like noticed that there's a commotion going on outside of the gates, thought that someone was out there, and she kind of pulled Atkins aside. So this left Krenwinkle and Watson with the victims. So with this opportunity, Abigail Folger tries to escape from Patricia Krenwinkle's reach. Folger makes it to the front lawn. She is, I mean, she's so close to freedom, but she's actually caught by Charles Watson and Krenwinkle. She was found the next morning with 28 stab wounds. So, I mean, it's it's a fight for your life. After that, Wojciech Farkowski is still alive. After all the stabbings and shots to him and the pistol whip to his head, he tries to escape during this commotion. So while Folger is trying to escape, Frykowski tries to escape, and he is struggling. He cannot walk. So because of all the stabbings in his legs, he can't walk. So he is truly just like army crawling. And he is actually caught by Charles Watson and dies with a total of 51 stab wounds. And also, he is hit in the head 13 times, so it is completely traumatic. There is, there, the crime scene is all over the place. And so, unfortunately, the last to be killed was Sharon Tate. As I had mentioned previously, Sharon Tate was eight and a half months pregnant, a young, beautiful actress, and she also died without her partner. Like, Roman was off in Europe, so she was all alone. Um, and after watching all of her close friends die a traumatic death, she pleaded for her child's life. She was asking to be kept as a hostage to allow the birth of her child. Then she, she allowed herself to be killed after that. Watson and Atkins showed zero mercy for this young woman. She was actually found with 16 stab wounds, with the final act being the infamous blood script painted on the door, the word pig. Manson had actually requested that the murderers leave like a sign, like a calling card almost. Um, and this, Denise will kind of describe this. This is actually to point towards a different type of murderers. They wanted to point to uh, African-American militants at the time. So kind of like uh, Black Panther folks. And unfortunately, like I said, this crime scene is absolutely gruesome. And these people then, if you know them, if you know the story, the next day they actually continue on the killings. Um, it's horrendous and ultimately left a scar on the U.S. history. So I'm going to talk about the people behind this murder and who they were and also um, what manson's part was in this as well so charles manson was obviously the leader of this cult he called it his big family and he represented himself as jesus a lot of his quote-unquote family members had religious backgrounds so when they were told that he was this jesus figure that was going to save them and lead them and it was going to be perfect and happy they really fell for it when it came to the men 
he basically taught them how to not fear anything, not fear death, not fear anything. So that way he could honestly control them because he taught them how to not fear anything, how to not necessarily really feel anything. Then we move on to the women. He was sleeping with basically all of the women. He uh, really manipulated the women and it's absolutely crazy how he really pinpoints issues that they have with their past to keep them stuck with him, like every casual cult leader. Um, so let's talk about Susan Atkins. She, um, within the family, was known as Sexy Sadie, which is disgusting. Mm. Um, she was 21 at the time of the crime, and at the time of her death, she was considered to be the longest woman in incarceration. She died on September 24th, 2009. Susan Atkins um, definitely assisted in the crime. She encouraged Watson to kill Tate when she asked to be considered a hostage. Watson, Watson actually in his book mentioned the fact that he actually considered taking her back to the compound and keeping her as a host, which if he actually did make that decision, if he took her back and after the compound was raided, she'd probably still be alive right now. Uh, but because of Susan Atkins' suggestion, he went ahead and killed her. And then we move on to Linda. Linda was 20 at the time of the murder. She was a getaway driver, as we listed beforehand. She is now 70 years old and still alive. Um, she was a gal that actually had daddy problems. Um, she was considered a prosecutor start witness. Without her, the prosecution would not have been able to build a case against every single family member of the Manson family. Um, she actually considered leaving during the murder, but she actually had a daughter that was at the compound. So she felt guilty trying to leave um then we're going to move on to patricia she is currently 72 years old and she has been denied 14 times to leave prison wow. she hasn't been considered for parole she's been denied 14 times uh when the crime happened she was 22 years old she was also known as big patty which i don't think is great that would be offensive um, and the big person that I really would like to talk about today is Charles Tex Watson. He primarily committed all the murders. Um, don't get me wrong, the girls definitely added a few stabs in there to say the least, but he was the one that really pulled the weight in all of this. Um, he was born on December 2nd, 1945 in Farmersville, Texas. In high school, he was considered an honor student, an athlete. He uh, went to church every Sunday with his parents. He was really considered your typical starter boy i don't know and um when the crimes and everything happened he was sent to prison in 1971 he converted to christianity in 1975 while he was in prison he wrote a book titled will you die for me it was released in 1978 i'm going to read a few blurps from the book because it just blows my mind reading this book i actually kind of felt sick by the end of it after reading the graphic details of how they murdered each individual in that home um, but in one of the first few pages, he said this is how he felt during the murders. He said, I felt no remorse, no remorse for the murders, no revulsion at the incredible brutality of the killings. I felt nothing at all. And I feel like this has a lot to do with the way Manson trained them to not feel anything, not to feel any fear because death didn't mean anything to them because they had Jesus with them, right? They also felt no fear in getting caught by the police or doing time because they believe that the next day or shortly after that, the apocalypse would happen and that all the other quote-unquote pig cities would burn. The reward for murder from Manson was he was planning on taking them 
to a secret devil's hole and into a bottomless pit where an underground paradise beneath Death Valley where a lake would be located and then by this lake there would be trees that you could eat from and there would be 12 trees one for each month and that this lake would give you everlasting life it's nonsense it's complete nonsense it's lsd (laughs) that's what it is it's definitely lsd so um another thing that i really want to read um is actually page 67 from his book at the very bottom um manson when he was in prison and did a few interviews claimed massively that he had nothing to do with these murders that he wasn't attached to it whatever but according to tex watson this is what's listed in the book then he started a careful list of instructions how we were to take some rope and good knives how i was to cut the telephone wires before we went in and that i should take the bolt cutters off of his dune buggy to do it how we should not use the automatic gate since it might be attached to an alarm system. He also said to wear dark colors, take a change of clothes with us, and burn those we and burn the clothes that we did the killing in. Then he laid out how he wanted the murders themselves to be done. He apparently didn't know who was living in the house or how many people we might find, but whoever and however many it was, we were to kill them all, mutilate them. Quote unquote, he said, pull out their eyes and hang them on the mirrors and write messages on the walls in their blood. When he started listing what he wanted handwritten, things like Helter Skelter and Rise, I told him I couldn't remember all that, but he said it was okay. The girls would know what to write. So he's pretty involved. I feel like he's the whole reason why this happened because there's genuinely no reason for any of these people to go after this poor innocent woman and her friends. Um, what's ironic about this guy is that, um, he actually became ordained in 1981. He also, uh, earned a degree while he was in prison and he's currently still in prison. He also was married in 1979 and had four kids through conjugal visits, but in 1996, conjugal visits to people who are serving life in prison ended. So him and his wife divorced a few years later, ironically. Mm -hmm. Um, but it is crazy to me because I think about how, all these people are trying to get rid of their sentencing and go back to the public and how many times they've applied and how many times they've been denied because actually Sharon Tate's sister has made it her life mission to keep them in prison and keep them stuck there. And honestly, I can't blame her. It The graphic way they murdered them, it was relentless, and he clearly states that he didn't feel anything. Mm-hmm. No remorse. So the, I guess the bottom line question is, do we really feel like people can change? If you can commit something like that, again, they were all young. I mean, these girls were really, really young. He was young himself. He was actually on the younger side between the group. And it just, I don't, I honestly can't say that after, what, 50 years since a crime has been committed, that this is okay for them. Are they safe to society? Are they making, would they ever bring back Manson in a way of, going another killing spree and quote-unquote bringing another apocalypse or were they just young and on lsd yeah i mean who are we to say you know like that's kind of why we have a justice system is just because there's there's no justice in just one person deciding so because like i i have little compassion for that kind of killing they they try to change and they didn't necessarily succeed i do wonder though chandler and i actually talked about this before recording the podcast is to write to one of the inmates, the one that I would like to actually reach out to would possibly be Charles Watson um, or Tex, as we call them, or 
probably Patricia because she most recently tried to get out of prison but was denied um, and her votes were overturned by the governor of California. Oh, wow. So it's a pretty big deal. They're really trying to keep them inside. What I thought was interesting after, like, researching a lot of this is, like, Charles Manson had, you know, of course he denied it, but he had very interesting motives. He heard the song Helter Skelter by the Beatles, and he thought that that song kind of represented carnage and represented, I think the word was, like, apocalypse, like, Mm -hmm. trying to, like, start the apocalypse. And, Denise, I think you had told me that, like, they all thought that once this murder happened the apocalypse was going to start, like, very quickly after that. Oh, yeah. They're going to go to a lake and live forever and eat some trees that were all for different months. Like, how does that make sense to someone? And, like, that's kind of the funny thing is, like, acid combined with um, manipulation just kind of gets you there. Um, So with that, I think we'll kind of talk about the spooky stuff. Alrighty, so Ghost Adventures was a little confusing for us to figure out at first because Chandler and I didn't notice at first at the house that this murder actually took place was torn down. Um, we knew very little about this going in, which has actually made it very enjoyable for us. Mm-hmm. It was actually really interesting. Um, but So Ghost Adventures went to a house that was built about 150 feet away from the original site of the murders. Um, like we had mentioned before, again, the house was demolished. So it's within pretty close vicinity of where these gruesome murders took place. Um, on one account from a parapsychologist notes that every time he comes to this home, he becomes violently ill in the days to come. He absolutely refuses to go back to that house and stay there through the night. And it's crazy because if you actually look up this parapsychologist, He is very well known. He has doctorates. He's incredibly smart, multiple degrees, and has really done his research and has been to thousands of paranormal locations. And this is the one place he absolutely refuses to stay the night through. Um, Something, a few things that have happened in this episode is that figurines falls multiple times, which is verified when multiple people try to inadvertently knock these over where, like, they would jump in front of the fireplace to see if that would cause anything to fall over also, tidbit, the figurines are weird and creepy looking, which only adds to the episode. Um, there's a lot of activity during this episode from voices speaking to a cameraman named Nick. Um, and they actually, which I think is so rude, the ghost, theoretically speaking, uh, says, hey, Nick. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure if I got an intelligent response like that, I would leave um i would totally leave another thing that happens to him during this episode is that his stomach becomes very upset and he actually has a burn mark on his stomach and there's also been known to have apparitions of sharon tate while she's pregnant and in my mind i wonder if like that correlates at all I don't know. Would that, that correlate? This yeah. Like, maybe. Do you think so? Oh, yeah. Because totally. she's pregnant. She's like eight and a half months it's pregnant. It's stabbing. Yeah, and totally. You know what I mean? I feel like and that might did, be... And also, I think you're actually really right, though, because the mark itself was very... It almost looked like a gash. It didn't look like a scratch. You know yeah, it was, it was definitely across wide. the top of his chest, like horizontally, not vertically. So it was horizontally placed around where it looked like a straight-up burn. Yeah. Um. So, but... <laughs> Zach being the champ that he is, after Nick goes outside, very frustrated with his experiences, not feeling good, just wants to get out. And it's very obvious that he wants to get out. Um, 
Zach goes, hey, can you, like, go downstairs one more time for me and just, like, test it out? But, like, test it out. And he says no. He goes, but, like, test it out. So he goes down to test it out. And I'm going to say that 12 more times. Um, But so as he goes down, um, he's by himself, and he starts to become very angry and very frustrated. He's asking Zach to come down. Zach's like, yeah, man, I'll be down in a sec. Doesn't come down, so he's getting more and more frustrated and pissed. So it's clearly unlike him to have these random emotions that are so angry and heavy. Um, Also, the owner of this house, um, David Omen, told the crew that there is supposedly a Native American said to be buried below the basement. Um, It's very interesting because a a lot of people assume that his home is haunted because when you go down into his basement, there is an exposed part of the dirt that is from the mountain, or the mountain, the hill. Anyways, this house is built on it, and this ground, uh, they're saying, could possibly have the remains of lots of people, apparently. And there's also Native Americans that might be in there. Also, I feel like David Omen was kind of a weird dude. He was so, (laughs) he was so weird. He, I think he he personally gets affected by whatever is in that house, because the fact that he lives there when a, like, prominent person within the quote-unquote paranormal world says, I'm not going back there for the night. There's paranormal investigators that have gone there that absolutely refuse to go back. It's just because they've seen full-blown apparitions, and that's where I'm, I'm getting. Yeah. He, yeah, he was a very interesting person. The episode was very... Um, it was a little confusing to me because, I, again, we didn't really know, like, what was going on because they didn't really clarify. I didn't feel like... No, we thought that we were so confused because at first we didn't know, and again, don't judge us, we didn't know if the Tate murderer happened, like, in the front yard. We're just confused. We're we didn't like, know if it happened what? in the house, his yeah. house, a different, it was just all very um, unknown. Who's open? Like, we were just like, who yeah. is open? Where did he come from and yeah. why is he so excited? Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> this, so this story overall has literally everything from murder to the apocalypse to race war to anything else. LSD. Na- Native American burial grounds. Like, it is jam-packed full of uh bad evil things if you guys like are really interested um the book will you die for me by uh watson is actually available for free on his website and you can read the graphic details um graphic details for sure it just by the end of researching this all i just kind of i'm tapped out on murders for like a minute even though i have to work on my murder next episode that's why we're doing it in two weeks (laughs) seriously yeah we wanted to call this episode the love house is actually because sharon tate so sweetly named her home at the time the love house it was supposed to be a home for everyone to come and everyone to kind of enjoy the grounds enjoy the place and enjoy the company and we just wanted to kind of exemplify the fact that she died with love in her heart for the people around her and her family himself so um, we wanted to kind of send our condolences out to those who were affected by this murder. This is horrendous to this day, and it still leaves a scar on our history. I also want to finish off with saying thank you to our intro music. Um, Alex, you were awesome and always so freaking nice in high school, too. Just a really cool dude with some really cool music. Please look up Daroba Music on Facebook and Instagram and like and follow his pages as well. We also would like 
to thank people that have previously edited our episodes. It's been a few of us now, and Chandler's actually going to take... Taking the reins. <laughs> She's going to try to edit this episode, so if it, you know... We'll so if you love it, just thank me. Like, that's what... <laughs> so, um, and we also wanted to say follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook, and you know me, I always want those good emails. Give us your experiences. Let us know what you want to share with the world about your spooky-ass experiences. I'm so ready to read them. Give me stuff to read, guys. It's quarantine. Please. (laughs) We want to know your alien stuff. We want to know your ghostly stuff. We want to know your anything paranormal. Like Sasquatches, which if you know me, I love Sasquatches. Um, And make sure to email us. With that, guys, stay spooky. Spooky.